Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about judging Romney on the impeachment, Trump, the impeachment and the prayer breakfast, and China expert Gordon Chang joins us to talk about China and the coronavirus. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You likely saw there was quite a dust up in Washington over the decision by Senator Mitt Romney, Utah Republican, to vote with the Democrats on one of the two articles of impeachment. He voted with the Democrats to impeach the president in one count. And to be clear, even though people are trying to give him a little bit of excuse, say, well, he only went, you know, he kind of split the baby. One count of impeachment, had it gotten to the two-third majority of the Senate, would have resulted in President Trump's removal. But I want to focus on Mitt Romney today, Senator Romney, because there's a lot of discussion about what's fair or not fair for him to do. I'm going to start by saying, if there were ever a situation where a president of the United States was actually caught doing something treasonous, as in giving away, you know, a military secrets to our enemies or actually stealing money from the Treasury. I would hope that every member of the U.S. House of both parties, regardless of what the political party of the president was, that the House would vote pretty much unanimously to impeach and the Senate would vote to remove, meaning that I do not think that every member of the House, every member of the Senate signs on to always stand with the president if that president is the same political party as they are. That is not that is not the duty of a House member or a senator. It is to follow the Constitution to apply the law. So this is what Mitt Romney is arguing, that he really thought that his best judgment was following the Constitution that President Trump deserved to have to be removed from office based on this one article of impeachment. It was not the one, the obstruction with respect to witnesses and all of that. It was the abuse of power impeachment article. I'm going to play for you the statement that Mitt Romney made, or just a segment of it, and then talk about what he had to say, because my bottom line in this first five is this, and I, will, I want to really, though I think it's important to talk through these um, ideas. Mitt Romney did not have an obligation to vote in favor of, or with President Trump. However, he had an obligation to use wisdom to look at all the facts and circumstances of the case, to understand the situation. He had a duty to do much more than he did. He focused on a narrow question and said, well, based on this, yes, I vote for impeachment. He had his head in the sand. Many argue really bad reasons for his long-term hostility toward President Trump. But I wanna say, before we play his clip, Many people are saying, well, he invoked his faith. He said he's really a man of God. He follows the Constitution. He does not get to hide behind that man of God. I prayed about it. I listened to the Constitution. I did my highest and best. He does not get that excuse. 
is in fact what he did was truly reprehensible. But first, let me ha have you hear what he had to say, the relevant segments in his statement on the Senate floor. Thank you, Mr. President. The Constitution is at the foundation of our republic's success, and we each strive not to lose sight of our promise to defend it. The Constitution established the vehicle of impeachment that has occupied both houses of our Congress these many days. We have labored to faithfully execute our responsibilities to it. We have arrived at different judgments, but I hope we respect each other's good faith. The allegations made in the articles of impeachment are very serious. As a senator juror, I swore an oath before God to exercise impartial justice. I am profoundly religious. My faith is at the heart of who I am. I take an oath before God as enormously consequential. The president's team presented three defenses. First, that there could be no impeachment without a statutory crime. Second, that the Biden's con conduct justified the president's actions. And third, that the judgment of the president's actions should be left to the voters. The president's counsel also notes that Vice President Biden appeared to have a conflict of interest when he undertook an effort to remove the Ukrainian prosecutor general. If he knew of the exorbitant compensation his son was receiving from a company actually under investigation, the vice president should have recused himself. While ignoring a conflict of interest is not a crime, it is surely very wrong. With regards to Hunter Biden, taking excessive advantage of his father's name is unsavory, but also not a crime. Given that in neither the case of the father nor the son was any evidence presented by the president's counsel that a crime had been committed, the president's insistence that they be investigated by the Ukrainians is hard to explain other than as a political pursuit. There's no question in my mind that were their names not Biden, the president would never have done what he did. Folks, I want to tell you before I launch in the specifics, Senator Mitt Romney, when you look at all the facts, does not deserve to be treated as though he acted in good faith. He does not deserve, he does not deserve protection from the criticism, recriminations, people even talking about censuring him. He deserves the wrath of the Republicans because of what he did in that vote. Not because he has a duty to always vote with a Republican president, but because in the facts and circumstances of this case, his vote was outrageous. I want to make an analogy and take it down to you know, a level we can all relate to. If you're sitting on a jury and you are in a case in which the prosecutor is charging somebody with the crime of jaywalking, I'm not equating jaywalking to the, what they were talking about with President Trump, but a simple charge of jaywalking. And on the jury, you sit there and you say, well, there it is, you know, there's the video camera. You can see this person, you know, the crosswalk is down the way, but this person jaywalked. And so you look at that, you say, okay, well, you know, then I guess we have to find the person guilty. But what if you knew the person, and let's say, so what if you knew the person, for example, you learn later or during the trial, was running away from a, a gang that was beating the person up, that was threatening the person's life. Maybe that would impact your assessment of whether or not you find someone guilty for jaywalking. You might think, you know, actually, in that case, I'm going to excuse the jaywalking. On top of that, what if you knew the prosecutor 
always was going after and looking for a reason to prosecute this person. You actually became aware this prosecutor was out to get that person and had persistently looked for a reason to charge this person with a crime. You might begin to question the motives of the prosecutor. You might say, you know, why is it? Because, you know, a lot of folks jaywalk. Why is it this person is actually being charged? If you knew the prosecutor was out to get this particular person who has been charged. And I'm telling you, when you look at all the facts that Senator Romney has available to him, because you and I have them available, America has them available, Senator Romney trying to take the moral high road, to claim the moral high road, that he's somehow above everybody else and above all the Republicans and is, you know, got his chin up in the air and his pride and self-righteousness because he's standing on the Constitution, standing on his faith, is baloney. It's hogwash. Let me start with the first point. He should have taken into consideration the fact that from the moment President Trump was sworn in, the Democrats have been determined to find some way to take him out of office. From the moment, in fact, from the moment he was elected, even before he won the election, there were Democrats talking about taking him out. Since the moment he won the election and was sworn in, Democrats, not just random, crazy Occupy Wall Street types on the in the street somewhere, elected members of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate talking about trying to take the president out. You're allowed to take those things into consideration when you are making a judgment that this is the latest after the you know Russia collusion hoax, after the whole series of other ideas that the leftists have floated in media as an excuse to somehow get rid of this president. You're entitled to take that into consideration. Second point. If you listen to the unbelievably dis disdainfully dishonest argument Romney makes, it helps you see there is no question he, Romney, acted in bad faith in getting to this vote on impeachment. And that is this. He goes through in his eight-minute sanctimonious floor speech in the Senate the idea that President Trump should be convicted because Trump's lawyers did not make the case that back in 2016, the Bidens and Burisma, Hunter and Joe Biden and Burisma, engaged in any wrongdoing. He says because the president's lawyers couldn't prove that, that Biden back in 2016 and Burisma and the Ukraine were all mixed up in a really rotten thing, that that means that Trump should be impeached. But the whole point of this entire episode is that this is what President Trump was asking the Ukrainians to look into, to say what the heck happened back in 2016. But they didn't do it. They didn't do the investigation. And even worse in terms of the hypocrisy of Senator Romney, the entire nation, you, if you listen to this show, anyone who pays attention to the news knows that Joe Biden said on live camera in front of thousands of people and millions of Americans have seen it, Biden said he had directly threatened the Ukrainian government withholding a, with, with withholding a billion dollars in U.S. aid unless they fired the prosecutor who is investigating Burisma, which was the company his son, Hunter Biden, sat, uh, sat in the board of. So, Biden blocks the investigation and threatens to withhold aid 
until that investigation is thwarted. But Romney takes this as because the investigation was thwarted at the behest of the Bidens, so therefore Trump's lawyers cannot lay out the case to prove what was going on, that this should fall, that this somehow makes this the president's fault. I mean, the, the logic is beyond circular. It is, it is crazy. It is irrational. It is blaming the president for because his lawyers don't have the information that Biden directly told the uh, government of Ukraine, you better not do this investigation. And so because the pres because Biden blocked the evidence, Biden must be, you know, nothing, nothing to see here, couldn't do anything wrong. Biden blocked the investigation. And now Trump's held accountable because his lawyers don't have the information they would have gotten had there been an investigation. This is not, and what I just said to you, this is something that Mitt Romney and his entire team do understand. And I'll tell you, so by itself, the hypocrisy, the, the just, I mean, malevolent hatred of President Trump clearly spewing from the left is very much, in my view, in the heart of Senator Mitt Romney. He understands what I just told you. He understands what Biden did in 2016. He understands that Trump's lawyers would have no way to present the evidence, but because the evidence wasn't presented, this gives Romney the right to find Trump guilty. People, this is, this is egregious. Two other things on this first five. I mean, I could go on the whole show about this because I'm so, so bothered by those people trying to make an excuse for Senator Mitt Romney. I mean, I'm talking about Republican senators saying, well, we all deserve respect. You know, we ought to treat each other like we respect each other. And, you know, he maybe came to this conclusion in good faith. And, you no, know, he didn't. He does not deserve the benefit of the doubt in the context of this case. Not when you realize the Democrats have been out to get Trump since day one. Not when you realize what Biden did in 2016. You don't get to say, golly gee, back to my analogy on, on jaywalking, but I looked at the video camera and I saw that person jaywalk and therefore guilty. You as a juror have the obligation in a jury trial for jaywalking or a Senate sitting in the impeachment judgment on the president, you have the duty to think, to take in the relevant factors, to use your judgment. Now, the other thing about Mitt Romney, very quickly, I'll tell you, you probably realize this, but uh, Mitt Romney has a very close advisor who was also on the Burisma squad along with Hunter Biden. So when it came to voting on witnesses, that was the big first vote they had. You know, Senator Mitt Romney said, well, you know, uh, he would go along with the Democrat desire to bring John Bolton in as a witness. So that was okay. A witness, the Democrats wanted to destroy Trump, but he never could get behind the witnesses that would expose what Burisma was doing. The Hunter Bidens, the Joe Bidens, the other, you know, other den of thieves. That wasn't okay with Mitt Romney. He wasn't seeking truth. He wasn't seeking justice. He was seeking to remove the president. And I, many of you, if you're sitting there thinking, well, why would he do that? He is a Republican. Why would he unfairly judge the president? I can give you a couple of quick reasons. Number one is that Mitt Romney has been the source of many ugly statements about President Trump during the campaign, talking about him as, as not, not viable, not respectable, you know, can't, can't have a guy like this. Mitt Romney is a guy, in fact, here's, yeah, in 2016 during the primary, this is what Mitt Romney said about Donald Trump. If we Republicans choose Donald Trump as our nominee, the prospects for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. Let me explain why I say that. 
burst down the economy. If Donald Trump's plans were ever implemented, the country would sink in a prolonged recession. Uh, not too smart there, Mitt. A few examples he proposed, you know, he's talking about tariff and penalties and trade wars. So he was out to get Trump. I'll tell you the real thing at the core why I think that Mitt Romney cannot stand President Trump. Mitt Romney lost his bid to be President of the United States because he would not fight. Because he wouldn't man up. He wouldn't go head to head with Obama. He wouldn't call President Obama out. Mitt Romney is not a fighter. He is a patrician, nose in the air, ruling class elite that it was too far beneath him to get in the dust up with Obama to point out how bad he was and why he should be removed at the time America could have had Romney, which is kind of, I'm kind of glad we didn't get him. But in any case, Mitt Romney sees in Donald Trump a fighter, a man who will stand for himself. This drives wimps like Senator Romney crazy. And this is longer than a first five, but that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, we have, in about uh, 10 minutes, we have a guest joining us. I'm very excited about him. It's Gordon Chang. Gordon Chang is the, um, he's an author. He's an, just a fabulous expert on China. Uh, he is a Chinese by background. He has lived in China and lived in, um, and he is going to talk to us about how the coronavirus in China, where the whole crisis was so poorly handled because of communism, because of the Chinese government. But I want to fit in a couple more things related to the impeachment, the ongoing thing. So today, this morning in Washington, President Trump um, had the pleasure of addressing the prayer breakfast. And Matt the Wonderful, I believe, has a few clips. Uh, I first want to just um, play, this is clip two, just a, a short segment of what President Trump had to say at the prayer breakfast this morning. Well, thank you very much. I'm working very hard for you, I will tell you. And sometimes you don't make it easy, and I certainly don't make it easy on you. And I will continue that tradition, if I might, this morning. It's wonderful to be with the thousands of religious believers for the 68th annual National Prayer Breakfast. I've been here from the first one where I had the privilege of being asked. I've been with you for a long time before that. But this morning we come together as one nation blessed to live in freedom and grateful to worship in peace. As everybody knows, my family, our great country, and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing very badly hurt our nation. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead of our great country. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you when they know that that's not 
so. So many people have been hurt. And we can't let that go on. Okay, that was the prayer breakfast this morning in Washington. And I will tell you that I want to hit a couple points about that. The prayer breakfast is an annual event. And I, there was a speaker just prior to the president, Arthur Brooks. I didn't hear all of his comments. And he's a, he's a great guy. He's, you know, he's a founder. He was the president of AEI. I think he founded it. But there's a lot of a tone coming from him and others at the prayer breakfast about, okay, the impeachment's behind us. We all got to love our neighbor. Let's just kind of move on. And one of the uh, comments that President um, Trump made when he opened his remarks was that it's very possible that Arthur Brooks won't like my comments very well. This president is not taking, sitting down, what the Democrats have done to him. He shouldn't take sitting down what the Democrats have done to him. This was a massive effort to, to, out, to, to oust him as president, to overturn the 2016 election, not because President Trump did anything wrong, but because the Democrats have been determined to get him from the start. They thought they had something that the American public will be duped about, that they could you know, explain this, this you know, unbelievable quid pro quo thing. It's terrible, you can't do that. And this whole thing cooked up, by the way, increasing, increasing speculation that this entire Ukrainian impeachment hoax was cooked up long before the conversation between President Trump and Zelensky. NSC, National Security Council members, the Vindman brothers, others, there's, there's conspiratorial thought, and I don't think it's, it's wild at all, that perhaps this was the entire thing, this impeachment Ukrainian, based on the Ukrainian situation was, it was a setup from the start. But whether or not it was set up or not from, start, from the start, the Democrats in the U.S. House decided this was a way to get this guy, and they went after him. And, you know, we've been over many times, you know, you had Biden doing exactly what Trump was accused of on air, bragging, no problem at all. And the Democrats were saying in the, in the uh, Senate when they moved, the, you know, in the trial, the Senate trial saying, yeah, we, we should really get John Bolton in to try to, you know, attack the president, but we can't have any discussion about the whole underlying thing in 2016, which is what President Trump was trying to get the the country of Ukraine to look at. So Democrats can do whatever they want. Democrats don't get investigated. Democrats aren't accused. And you think of all the things I have named on this show that President Obama could have been brought up but when the Republicans held the House and Senate and moved toward impeachment, and our side never does that. Our side never fights. Our side let things go with President Obama for a variety of reasons. But now we're to where the Democrats had the opportunity because they have the majority in the House to go after impeachment and they couldn't wait to do it. They couldn't wait to find something. So President Trump, you know, to use the prayer breakfast to say, you know, it's the first national audience he had after the impeachment vote. But, uh, and he went ahead and said what he said. He said much more than that. But then he went back to the White House. He also had a press conference this morning. And I want to play that clip, too. This is clip three, Trump at the White House this morning. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Wow. We've all been through a lot together, and uh, we probably deserve that hand for all of us because uh, it's been a very unfair situation. Uh, I invited some of our very good friends, and we have limited room, but everybody wanted to come. We kept it down to a minimum. 
And believe it or not, this is a minimum. Uh, but a tremendous thing was done over the last number of months. But really, if you go back to it over the last number of years, we had the witch hunt. It started from the day we came down the elevator, myself and our future First Lady, who's with us right now. Thank you, Melania. And it never really stopped. Uh, we've been going through this now for over three years. Uh, it was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. Uh, it was leakers and liars. And this should never, ever happen to another president, ever. Now, I had to cut that short. And I'll tell you, folks, I want to leave time to introduce my guest before he comes on with us at 3.30. We have Gordon Chang joining us at 3.30. But I do want to mention a couple of things, both at the prayer breakfast this morning and at this press conference that we just were listening to a moment ago. You know, when I go to grab clips to do in the show, I send them to Matt, the wonderful producer. You know, I try to get to hone right in on the segment that I want to play. And what I want, why I raise that is in both cases, the prayer breakfast as well as at the White House today, I kept waiting to the point to get to the point where the president could start speaking and the applause in the room for President Trump, both at the prayer breakfast and again at the White House. You, you, I kept thinking, okay, soon they're going to stop. I'll get to the point President Trump's going to start and soon they're going to stop clapping. The not just relief, but applaud support for the president filling the prayer breakfast. I mean, you couldn't, it took the longest time for him to get the audience to quiet down so he could make his remarks. Same thing at the White House today, the applause went on and on and on. And I think there are many Americans feeling extremely relieved that we're through this impeachment hoax, that we've gotten the vote out of the Senate. But I do think for many Americans, the longer the impeachment went on, the longer the attempt to undermine this president, the more Americans realized that the American left is simply out to destroy, out to destroy the GOP, the president, and the voters in this country who chose the new direction with President Trump, the new direction taking America back off the cliff of socialism, back into America first, America strong, America safe, America capitalist and free and not socialist. Americans are hugely grateful for what President Trump is doing, has done, and is doing. And they saw, and back to Mitt Romney, they saw the attack of the left, the attack on this president, not merely, it, it, most people figured out early on, this impeachment and the previous Russia hoax had nothing at all to do with the president's conduct anything to do with his relationship with the country of Ukraine, his conversation with President Zelensky, and everything to do with rebuking the American people for choosing a president that the ruling elite class in Washington, which has members in both parties, but the ruling elite class in Washington did not approve the voter's choice for America. That's really what I think is driving so many Americans to be disgusted with the uh, the Democrats discussed it with the impeachment. In fact, there was polling, CBS polling about Republicans, Democrats, and, and independents. Even, I mean, it was in the 80% of independents were on President Trump's side. 
could see this impeachment was simply a sham and a farce. And this is why so many people are standing up for President Trump, because they do see what the Democrats are doing. They do see what the mission was, was simply to eliminate the choice made by the people of America in the elections of 2016. I think this impeachment is going to backfire on the Democrats. I think they live in a little bubble in Washington. They convince themselves this would go well. And they haven't begun to see the wrath of the American people carried out, hopefully in the voting booth in 2020, that brings back Republican majority to the House, keeps the Republican and maybe increases the Republican majority in the Senate, and keeps President Trump in office. What people are, are what's dawning on America is this really was a rolling coup attempt to remove this president, and the American people don't like it. Well, now we're going to turn to our guest. We have joining us. I think we have him on Skype. I'm hoping we do, but I'm going to talk briefly about him. Gordon Chang, he has been on our show before. Um, he's just a fabulous, wonderful expert relating to the country of China and to the conduct of the Chinese Communist Party, um, the, you know, the uh, top expert on Asia and China in particular and how the communists are really a threat to their own people as well as to the world. Uh, he's author of three books, um, The Coming Collapse of China, The Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, um, and a third book, um, Losing South Korea. I don't have the name in front of me. I think it's Losing South Korea. But Gordon Chang, a fabulous uh, expert on China. You can find him at his website, gordonchang.com, and on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. And we were going to talk to him about the coronavirus. So, Matt, the wonderful, we do have him. So, hi, Gordon. Do we have you? Hi, Debbie. Okay, we're going to do it by phone. Okay, hi, sir. <laughs> um, well, I'm so glad you could join me. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, I know you've been talking all over media about your uh, what is going on in China and the coronavirus. But I want to start with something I heard you say on another show. But the coronavirus emerged sometime in China in December. Can you tell us what happened within China, how the Chinese government first responded in December of this of 2019? Yeah, health professionals don't know how the coronavirus started. Um, the first narrative was that it's that it began in a wet market in Wuhan, which is a city of 11 million in central China. But The Lancet, which is a medical journal, has published a study which showed that most of the initial victims were, have no connection to that wet market. And so many people are now speculating that the coronavirus was released either accidentally or on purpose from a P4 biology lab. This is a maximum um, security lab where some of the most deadly pathogens are held. This P4 lab in Wuhan is about 20 miles away from that wet market. Now. Whatever the truth is, and we don't know what it is yet, many people in China say that it did come from the lab, and that has become a reality. That's become a narrative that the Communist Party has tried to counter. Okay, so when you refer to this lab, Gordon, are you talking about, um, because I saw within Wuhan or near Wuhan, they were talking about two different places. They were using the expression, they were, um, they were uh, bioweapon development labs. Is that what you're saying this was or some other, some other kind of lab? Yeah, um, there is a dispute as to what exactly was going on in this lab. Some do call it a bioweapons lab. Others just say that it's a level four or P4 um, lab 
which is uh, the maximum uh, in terms of precautions and uh, measures taken. So whatever it was, there were extremely deadly pathogens stored in this lab, including coronavirus. We got to remember that Canada detained a husband and wife team who were sending coronaviruses to this Wuhan lab. And oh, so, yeah. therefore, so therefore, there is speculation that... Um, this pathogen escaped one way or another. Uh, so, just so deeply alarming, um, obviously. So when this it became known to the Chinese government, this coronavirus, however it got there, was beginning to infect people in Wuhan and maybe surrounding areas. Was it, isn't there great concern that the Chinese government, the Chinese communist government, really tried to hide it from its own people for some period of time? Oh, certainly. The, the first patient um, showed uh, symptoms uh, on the first official announcement from the Chinese government came on December 1st, but it wasn't until about January 20 when Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, talked about it that the government there actually started to swing into action to try to stop it. And what we have seen since then is that there was maybe a week of transparency, but now they've gone back to secrecy and suppression. Just to give you an example of this, on January 26, the Communist Party announced the formation of a small leading group on the coronavirus. That is the party's emergency um, organization. Of that nine-member uh, group, um, there's only one health professional. It is loaded with propaganda officials, including um, the vice chairman. The chairman of the leading group is a political hack. So this really is a um, very distressing sign that basically the Communist Party has gone back to trying to control the narrative as a higher priority than ending the disease. So deeply alarming. So that I think uh, we had a little bit of a, a fade out there, I want to be sure. So the disease emerged in the Wuhan area sometime in December 2019, and it really took pretty much until a month later, January of this year, that the Wuhan government was responding or, or acknowledging it. Is that roughly that, accurate? That, that's right. And matter of fact, okay. the Wuhan mayor um, actually said publicly that he wanted to disclose this to the people in the city, but he was prevented by doing from doing so because... He had reported this to higher-ups in Beijing, and he did not yet get the authorization to disclose this. This shows you the hierarchical nature of the Communist Party and really a weakness in its, method, its system of governance. Because in any other system, including ours, for instance, you would have the mayor of a large city, Dallas or whatever, talk to people as soon as it became clear that the disease had um, started to break out. And during that period, from about December, all the month of December and two to three weeks in January, this disease then started to spread around China. Before the quarantine went into effect in Wuhan, um, the Wuhan mayor said five million people in his city actually went elsewhere in China. Five million people left Wuhan after the, oh my gosh, okay. So I want to get to numbers very quickly, uh, and then I, I, have, I have a bunch of questions. I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, there was a report that the Chinese government was greatly repressing the truth about the number of people infected, the number of people who pass on, and, and, and probably exaggerating the number of people who've been cured. But what are the numbers? Do you know what the numbers are within China who are, who are dealing with this coronavirus? Hello? 
Yes. Do, do we know the numbers in China, people dealing with this coronavirus? No, we don't, Debbie. Um, and there's two reasons. First of all, there's been deliberate falsification by the Communist Party. That's the way they normally operate. But also, um, we know that the governments, local governments in um, China, including that of Wuhan, are basically paralyzed. They're not operating very effectively or well. And of course, in that circumstance, when there is an emergency, keeping accurate statistics is not a high priority for them. They have um, been clearing corpses from the streets, from apartments, um, oh. from hospital floors. And they have been slow to do that because they've just been stressed. And that's why I think another reason for the lack of accurate statistics. But the numbers that Beijing has been releasing, I think, severely understate the uh, magnitude of the problem. Okay, I want. I heard one other story. Just want to ask you. There was a story uh, floating around that even after the Chinese government, communist government, was aware of this coronavirus and it was contagious and they, very serious, that they went ahead with some event that had been previously planned. It was to prove the that to break the Guinness Book of World Records to have the largest uh, potluck. So they had some gathering of forty thousand families translating about 130,000 people in one place at a potluck dinner in order to try to break the Guinness Book of World Records. It is occurring after being aware of the coronavirus. Is there truth to that story? Well, there certainly is, because that potluck banquet took place on January 19th, when oh Chinese officials knew, of course, what was going on. And um, you can't imagine a, a more um, conducive atmosphere for the spread of disease than a potluck dinner. Um, you know, every, every family bringing their own food. So um, this is, shows you the critical failing of Communist Party governance. Oh, and just lack of concern for the health and safety of their citizens. But speaking of that, you also mentioned that people have been quarantined. Doesn't that end up causing people, if you're not allowed to leave your home, doesn't it end up causing some people to be stuck in apartments and places where someone else in the apartment may have been exposed to coronavirus and they have it? Doesn't it possibly even cause the spread of the coronavirus? Yes, um, that's indeed true. Um, because of the quarantine in Wuhan and neighboring cities, you have 60 million people under various forms of lockdown. And in Wuhan itself, um, people have been dying in their apartments. Um, and they've not been dying alone because they've been dying with family members um, because the hospitals don't have enough beds, which you can understand in an emergency situation like this one. Um, and that means that the spread to family members. Uh, it's simply, it's almost unbelievable. I mean, it, it sounds like something you would think may have occurred at an ancient time when we didn't have modern medicine and we couldn't figure out ways to deal with things. So we just locked them away in quarantine. And, and to think that people are stuck in these apartments infecting each other uh, is truly horrific. I also want to turn to you and ask, there was conversation. In fact, I saw there was a, in the United States Senate, they were talking about trying to um, condemn China, which was trying to keep the Taiwan excluded from the World Health Organization, and that somehow was going to prevent better global support for an attack on the coronavirus. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, for uh, years, Beijing has been trying to keep the Taiwan, which is a self-governing republic, um, out of the World Health Organization and out of its World Health Assembly. That's because Beijing claims Taiwan 
and so therefore it doesn't want uh, the island to be in any organization which is composed of sovereign states, such as the WHO. This has meant, though, that Taiwan's health professionals, who are among the best in the world, have not been included in efforts to combat the virus. And so this actually uh, acts to undermine China's efforts uh, to prevent the epidemic from spreading faster and further. Um, and of course, it makes it much more difficult for Taiwan authorities um, to protect the health of people on the island. So this is an area where you have China's geopolitical ambitions undercutting the uh, efforts of the world to prevent what is becoming a global outbreak. Uh, simply shocking. So, I mean, so far you haven't told me any good news. But I do want to ask you, though, do you think in America, what is the proper response of American health officials? Are we doing everything we can be to keep Americans safe as China seems to be ineptly or uh, secretively uh, handling the outbreak of coronavirus in China? Is America doing everything we can be doing? I think that we are. Um, so, for instance, we have those are issued by the State Department. And we have quarantines for people in from the areas in China, which is also an important prevention is among the best in the world, and they're working overtime on this. So at least Americans, to the extent possible, are safe. When someone comes into the U.S., they're screened, and people who might have the uh, virus are, are quarantined off. That's really important for us um, because uh, if we're going to stop this from actually affecting Americans like it's affected China, we've got to have early action. And unlike China, the CDC has acted early. Love that. That should be the response in America. Well, Gordon, there are so many other facets of this story about the coronavirus. And I know that many people are trying to have you uh, talk on their shows, explain what's happening. So thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. We've been speaking with Gordon Chang. You can find him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. And also you can find he has a website, which is GordonChang.com. And just thank you for all you do to help America and people in America be more familiar with the communist Chinese government, what they do, how they repress their people. And really in this particular case, how their, their uh, totalitarian mindset is actually endangering their own people, their secretive totalitarian, endangering their own people, and ultimately, obviously, endangering the rest of the world. So I just thank you for everything you do, and thanks for taking time to join me. Oh, well, thank you so much, Debbie. And the difference between a totalitarian state and democracy is that we got people like you who are talking about this openly, and, and that's really important, because that's our first line of defense against an epidemic. Thank you. A very good point. Thank you so much, Gordon. Take care. Okay. Thank you. So I was going to tell you, folks, well, two other quick things in that story, and they were uh, out of time, sadly, but I did want to mention on this story, there was a doctor um, in China who had tried to bring this story, a medical doctor, to the public's attention, to the government's attention, saying, we got a real problem here. Please pay attention. Look what's happening. So this doctor, uh, he was actually arrested by the Chinese government 
on January 3rd, I believe it was, um, yeah, arrested on January 3rd uh, for and charged because he was, uh, it was essentially, you know, that he was challenging the government, that he was embarrassing the government. He'd already been exposed to the coronavirus. He passed on on January 31st, but he was putting the word out in China, we got a really big problem here and we better get on top of it. So uh, this coronavirus, first of all, I'm so grateful to have a country like ours in America where we can talk about the tough and bad things and we can try to fix problems and expose the American people to the truth. That's why I do this show. It's why everyone who has shows like mine, who's out there in the world every day trying to speak truth to America, raise awareness of issues that matter. So grateful for the freedoms we have in America to do that as contrasted with China, where you get arrested for talking about it. Uh, I want to tell you one thing in the next uh, two seconds, and then we're going to go to why it matters to you. I saw this morning, so on the Iowa caucus debacle, the, de the Democrats ongoing rolling debacle, uh, they're now saying, they, they, first of all, they're still saying there's a tie at basically 26% uh, between Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. So they're both at 26%. So, you know, and they're kind of, they've been, had a horrible time counting votes in the Democrat caucus in Iowa because they relied on this faulty app. So today, the DNC chair, Tom Perez, put out in a tweet that is, this has gone on long enough in the Iowa caucus with the Democrats that he said we need to have a, his term was re-canvas, which means recount the votes. If you ever want a reason to understand why the Democrat Party, I mean, I think what happened, my suspicion still is, what happened inside the Democrat Party is they saw polling showing that Bernie Sanders was going to win Iowa. Many people at the top of the Democrat Party simply they clearly understand, I think they're right, they know the American people are not going to vote for a socialist president, and they thought, we got to jump in and do something. So my sense, far more suspicion in the Iowa caucus that the problems they've had counting votes are not only based on this app, but they're actually also based on the Democrat Party getting in the middle of things and saying you got to find a way we cannot have bernie sanders as the democrat nominee for president and the iowa caucus last five of seven last national elections the winner of the democrat caucus in iowa does go on to become the democrats nominee for president making the democrats very very nervous so to be continued on that so, my friend, wow, the show just raced by, races by every day, actually. Every time I'm here, I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe my time is up. So, apparently it is. So, we're going to turn to what I do at the end of every show. I try to run through, again, about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, on today's stories, we talk first about judging Romney on the impeachment. Even if you want to take Mitt at his word, which I don't. A man of conscience, a man of faith, even put aside, you know, the just ugliness of the Schiff whistleblower plotting behind this entire Ukraine story, Romney's vote for impeachment was a ruling class exemplified. Ignorant, naive, and in this case, in my view, malicious. Trump's attorneys provided no evidence that the Bidens committed crimes with Burisma. This is the line that Romney is delivering 
Americans of common sense. Look at Joe Biden's video. Hunter Biden's $83,000 a month with no qualifications. They smell corruption that ought to be investigated. And that's what President Trump asked for. Ought to be investigated. Trump's impeachment lawyers didn't provide evidence of crimes because there was no investigation because Ukraine dropped it in response to Biden's threat in 2016. Mitt's world, Biden is a long-standing approved member of the ruling class. We must presume he's honorable. Trump is not a member. He must be removed. There is nothing honorable about Mitt Romney's vote for impeachment. He doesn't get a pass. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. Trump, impeachment, prayer breakfast, why it matters. Trump is right. There may come a time for forgiveness, but it's not yet because there has been no acknowledgement of wrongdoing and no remorse by any of the people who cooked up the Russia collusion or the Ukrainian hoax. The Russia collusion coup attempt was perpetrated by the highest level occupants of the White House, DOJ, FBI, CIA, and numerous media outlets. A few firings, demotions, and early retirements are not remotely close to the accountability needed. The Ukraine impeachment reeks of a plotted coup attempt involving Adam Schiff and members of America's National Security Council, and there's been no accountability. America needs answers and severe accountability imposed for those who attempted the overthrow of America's duly elected president. Finally, Gordon Chang, love having him on, by the way, love when he's available. Gordon Chang, China and the coronavirus. The silver lining, if there is one to the coronavirus, it may be a worldwide re-education, reawakening to the nature of a totalitarian communist regime and the need to be wary of it. The people in China are deeply subservient to the rulers. Human life on the level of the masses is cheap. Going forward with a Guinness Book of World Record, you know, motivated event, a record in the middle of a viral outbreak, 40,000 families, biggest potluck ever in the Guinness World uh, Book of World Records, 130,000 people. Preserving the power and reputation of the rulers is to them always paramount. Lying about destruction and death is okay, even mandatory, when the truth is damaging. China does not have the coronavirus under control. Question, creating a pandemic? The Chinese people are getting restless and frustrated. There's even talk of Xi Jinping being vulnerable for the handling of this crisis. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Love to send you my email tomorrow. If you'd like my weekly email, go to the website, americacanwetalk.org, hit subscribe. You, I'll add you on to our weekly email, which I send out on Fridays, links to all the show topics. Great way to share the show. Love to have you subscribe to our newsletter. And thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk today, every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where we always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-